What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 66 of the Deep Ball Gridiron Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Payloyle, joined, of course, by my co-host, Corey Lipman and Core. Week one is in the books. I mean, again, we had an unbelievable game on Thursday featuring one of the top teams in the NFL, absolutely blow out the reigning Super Bowl champions. And I say unbelievable in a sense of just like how dominant it was. And then the weekend continued to a great slate of games. You had kickers either winning games or blowing teams games. And then it ends off with two primetime games that were uh, that were interesting, to say the least, definitely in their own unique ways. But, yeah, we're going to talk about these games, talk about some of the storylines from this past week. And I'm excited to get into it. What about you? Yeah, man, I mean, it's great. Hey, I don't know about you. I mean, I was a little more productive towards like the end of it, but like that first few hours of Sunday football, yeah, I didn't really, I didn't really get much done. But honestly, it was good to have um all the games back, and yeah, just flipping through red zone, just watching football, checking my fantasy team. So yeah, excited to talk about week one, and yeah, it's definitely good to have football back. Yeah, I mean, my my Sunday's core, the productivity levels have completely dropped off. If like it was a graph core, maybe we were up at like a seven out of ten. Like it is just completely went down to somehow it's negative. Like somehow I'm going backwards. Like, but hey, whatever happens, happens. It's football. There's only 18 regular season weeks, a couple more playoff weeks. So you got to make the most of them. Core, we're going to start with a position that's a little close to your heart at the kicking position. We had three game winning field goals this week. And then we had three potential game winners that were all misses. So I mean, there you go. Six out of the 16 games in a week come down to missed kicks or made kicks to win. I mean, we're definitely going to open with that core. I guess I'll start with the most impressive one first. We'll talk about Cade York, the rookie out of LSU for the Cleveland Browns. 58 yards to spoil the Baker Mayfield revenge game core. I mean, take me through the mind of Cade York there. I mean, this guy, again, like they were saying in pregame too, that they were like, yeah, they don't really want to like attempt field goals with him or whatever. He was putting him off the uprights and stuff. Like, he wasn't doing well in pregame warm-ups. And I think he kicked, like, two other or two or three other field goals in this game. Maybe he went four for four total. So, clearly, he got the jitters out of him. But, yeah, 58 for the win. I mean, that's got to be an unreal feeling for him. Hey, I mean, they say kicking off the uprights. But, you know, to me, Kid York, guy's just a game-time player, I guess. I mean, getting kicks off the uprights in practice, and then he's just warming up. I mean, game time comes. He's locked in. I mean, yeah, I mean, as a kicker myself, I mean, going to that spot, I mean, the mentality's just got to be, I'm draining this kick. Can't have any doubt in your mind. I don't know Kate York's um, mindset, but I'm I'm pretty sure in his mind, he's like, yeah, I'm cashing this kick. Drains a 58-yarder easily. I mean, had distance on it by a few yards. I mean, these guys in the NFL, they they really humble me as a, as a D3 college kicker. I get – extremely humbled watching these guys these guys are just unbelievable but yeah Cade York I mean ever since LSU when uh Marco Wilson on Florida out here throwing the shoe gave mm-hmm. Cade York a chance hey this guy's this guy's familiar with chances to win the game from deep I mean hit a 57 yarder um on as a, as a LSU Tiger against Florida um I think that was 2020 I mean guy guys used to the moment and hey once once the, that first kickoff goes off, I mean, goes through the back of the end zone, and it's and it's a game, Cade York is ready to go, and that's exactly what he did to give the Browns the win. Yeah, I mean, I definitely remember that field goal that he kicked against Florida. That was in the swamp, too. It was, like, all foggy that day. Actually, then, later on in that game, Evan McPherson missed 
a field goal to event that ended up losing Florida the game. Obviously, I think they would have either tied or won the game if McPherson hits it. Evan McPherson, obviously, the Cincinnati Bengals kicker now, he was also kind of responsible for. I don't know, Core, if it's really necessary to blame Evan McPherson, though, because I mean, the snapper on the Cincinnati Bengals kind of tough, man. I mean, you know what I mean? Kickers maybe get thrown under the bus for, but it's a whole operation. It's snap, hold, kick. Oh, for sure. I mean, Watching Evan McPherson over the playoffs, even that first kick he hit from 59 just absolutely drilled it. I think to see as a kicker myself, you can't get the kick off without a good snap and a good hold. That's why to me, like, the kicker gets all the credit, but snappers and holders definitely should get a lot more credit than they get. And I think here, um, yeah, it was a prime example. Clark Harris. Long snapper for the for the Bengals goes down with some type of injury, unable to go. They bring in this guy Wilcox. I think he was like a backup tight end. And this guy, I I mean, really tough for him to be put on the spot. But like that first snap that got blocked in um end of regulation would have given the Bengals the win. Probably got back there like three miles per hour. And then the next one in overtime that McPherson, I've never seen do this. Like from like twenty nine yards, I think just shanks. It was it. a bad one, yeah. Like 15 feet left. Yeah, that one was a little bit high. He got the laces. So, hey, if they could just get a long snapper from the practice squad or something, McPherson will be fine. I think, yeah, that snap definitely threw him off. It just shows, hey, kickers matter, long snappers matter, and the holders matter. Just the whole operation um, definitely matters. So, yeah, I mean, it's a tough one to lose for the Bengals, but obviously it's only week one. And, I mean, the Steelers had their – normal uh whole special team screw with the holder and snapper and they were able to to get it done and that's what it came down to in this game yeah not very easily though because chris boswell did doink one right off the upright in overtime but eventually he was able to hit one from 53 yards to give pittsburgh i, I don't want to say a much deserved victory they did force joe burrow to turn the ball over five times but again the fact that he went to overtime in a game that honestly probably shouldn't have gotten to overtime because cincinnati had a chance to get an extra point to win it and um, there was another point where they could have challenged, like, or that might have been the same drive, though. Besides the point, they definitely could have won Cincinnati in regulation on an extra point, and they didn't. So uh, Pittsburgh was lucky to even get that game into overtime. Besides the point, they weren't the only team, along with the Browns, to win on a field goal. Will Lutz, back from a season-long, like, absence last year, Will Lutz. I think it was a core injury he had there, core, but uh, good for Will Lutz to see him back on the board kicking field goals for the New Orleans Saints from 51. He hit his, and the Saints went down in that game early. I know that they were down for sure um, 26 to 10 in that game, and then they scored 17 unanswered points. Michael Thomas, the big story in that one, two touchdowns. I believe it was five receptions for 57 yards. The two touchdowns, like, both inside the red zone, both just looked like you know what I mean? Like, they, they just looked really good. You know, they looked like kind of like, all right, maybe the dominant Michael Thomas is back. Jameis Winston, another guy coming off his own injury. He played very well in the second half. He got up to a very slow start. The whole Saints offense looked a little sluggish out of the gate. Really, the only big play in the first half was like a Taysom Hill long run, and then he ended up scoring a touchdown. But yeah, Jameis started to settle in. There was pain everywhere for Jameis Winston. But at the end of the day, the Saints were able to get the job done beating the division rival Atlanta Falcons, who – Marcus Mariota in his own right definitely hung in there a little bit more than I thought would. Core, I just talked about the Saints obviously winning on a field goal as well as the Steelers. I got to pivot back to some of the misses, Core, because we mentioned McPherson. He wasn't the only kicker. Unfortunately for Rodrigo Blankenship, he doesn't know when his next chance is going to be. He misses a field goal in overtime 
for the Indianapolis Colts, and the Colts are going to cut ties with him, the former kicker from Georgia, Dunn. It looks like the Colts are bringing in uh, McLaughlin, Chase McLaughlin. I don't know if you remember the name. He's been, like, in and out of the league. He brought, I believe he was brought into their practice squad today. Before Rodrigo Blankenship, he's really good his rookie year. Wasn't as great this past, like, in uh, 2021-2022. I mean, a game that the Colts were honestly had no business even tying in this one. They were down like 20 to three, score 17 unanswered points, bring it to overtime, had a chance to win it. Rodrigo misses. And uh, it's like I said, it's, it's just a tough life as a kicker. You know what I mean? When everything's going, like when you're hitting your field goals and stuff like that, maybe you aren't, like you don't get the recognition you deserve. But when you start to get these misses and the misses pile up, then people like to point fingers. And unfortunately for Rodrigo, going to cost him his job. See, I mean, there's guys in the NFL who were like, I'm not going to compare it to a head coach, but, I mean, hey, kicker's life, like, yeah, we're not getting hit all the time. Like, we're not going out there. You're not asking us to go uh, go run a route and go catch a touchdown. But, like, yeah, game's on the line. Coach is like, hey, you got this, and you got to cash it or else it looks like the game's on you, even though it's not. But, I mean, it kind of is. But, yeah, Rodrigo, a guy who, yeah, I mean, his rookie year did really well, Georgia – was pretty good. Nah, he was really good. But, yeah, last year, I don't know what happened to him. I think he was dealing with injuries. I remember that uh, that Ravens game on Monday Night Football was when, like, I kind of mm-hmm. started stop believing in this guy, Rodrigo, and then he misses a 42-yarder in this game. I'm sure he'll get picked up, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I guess I saw it coming. He also had two kickoffs out of bounds. So, I mean, yeah, tough for the poor guy. But I was going to say, like, there's some guys in the league who have, like, an extreme, like, cold seat. Like, obviously, like, Justin Tucker. They're, they're untouch- They're like kind of untouchables, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Justin Tucker could go on a five-week, like, run a little bit, and, like, you, you'll start to worry a little bit, but, like, you're not cutting Justin Tucker after two bad weeks or stuff like that. Like, there are, there are for sure other kickers in this league and stuff, like, where the leash is very short on it. That's what you're kind of trying to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean – Rodrigo, I didn't think was one of those guys, but I guess they were just like, hasn't really established himself as like that good of a kicker yet. So I guess I understand it. But I, I even think Evan, like Evan McPherson, like he's already proven himself. Like that dude is never getting cut. If he I, goes I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't say never. I mean, he is a rookie here. I know. Like to, but, th- to throw him into the Tucker range of untouchable is a little like, a little early if you ask me. Like I think Bucker. Bucker definitely. And Bucker, yeah. Harrison Bucker dealing with an injury, absolutely dog, <laughs> kicking a field goal. What was it, like 54 yards? And like, Corey, you could go touch it, talk about this more. It's like a one step or something like that. It's obviously, yeah. you're, not, you're not generating as much momentum and stuff like that. Don't have enough power on it. But good for Harrison Bucker. Justin Reed getting out there, getting to kick a, an extra point, get a little um, a little kickoff action. Cool. I mean, this is probably your dream episode. We haven't shut up about kickers yet. I, I'm sorry to like go again completely off topic in a sense, but like I don't get why more coaches don't do this. All right, there are 53 guys on an NFL roster, right? I believe like 47 of them dress. They're the most athletic kids probably on their high school team for almost for sure, unless they went to a crazy private high school college. So some of them probably kicked in high school because that just that's just what happens sometimes. You know what I mean? The most athletic kid does everything in high school. So you're telling me that there aren't more people, like more teams like the Chiefs who have like a Justin Reed out there? Because like this happens like a couple times a season where a kicker will get hurt and they don't have a backup plan. Now the Chiefs have a backup plan with Justin Reed. So like I don't care. And they used him in the preseason to test out if it would work. It worked. 
So they were able to use it, and it contributed to their team successfully. So I don't get why, like, in the preseason almost. I know kickers have to get their work in, of course, and stuff like that. But, like, why wouldn't you have, like, almost, like, your best position play? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, like are, you, are you against that, or is that an insult to the kicking brand? Oh, that's definitely not an insult to the to, to anything regarding kicking, the kicking brand. I mean, if you tried out, like, most of the guys, I'm sure most of them probably are not good at kicking. But, yeah. There are some guys on the team who are just probably natural, all-around athletes, and it's not like, yeah, I mean, there's no NFL teams dressing two kickers. Maybe, I mean, maybe the punter can kick, but, yeah, I mean, Justin Reed absolutely has a cannon for a leg. Guy hit one through the uprights on a kickoff, but I think this week the Chiefs are going to go with Matt Amendola, at kicker. But, yeah, uh, Reed definitely came in, hit an extra point, hit a touchback, so... I mean, they were blowing them out anyway, but yeah, I mean, I honestly like that idea, Pat. I mean, just try to get like some type of guy. I mean, you don't need that as much in college. I feel like there's more kickers that dress, but like yeah, because you could dress, NFL, you could dress a bunch. Yeah, in the NFL though, yeah, is if like as an emergency kicker, I think it's definitely smart to uh to find someone on the team who could do that. And like I'm not saying that you got to find a Justin Reed too, where he's got to do the kickoffs and kick it out of the end zone. That like your punter at least maybe can do the kickoff or stuff like. that. But at least an extra point, like like just have some sort of backup plan or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. Let's talk about some bad kickers again, Core, and then we'll talk about other stuff before we get into the dominating performances of the week. Uh, the Tennessee Titans also lost due to their kicker. Randy Bullock pulled a 47-yard field goal wide. And to my delight, Corey, the New York Giants started the season off 1-0. Thanks to Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley, 194 total yards, one touchdown, and Core. People might not have seen it enough. The two-point conversion that Brian Dable calls with a minute left when the Giants scored to make it 20-19. to Saquon Barkley has absolutely no business of scoring there. As Ryan Clark said on, I believe it was Get Up on ESPN, he was like, go beyond the X's and O's if you draft the guy number two. And that's exactly what he did there. He outruns a linebacker there, puts his shoulder down, and gets into the end zone to take the lead. The Giants defense doesn't do a great job then of slowing Tennessee down as Tennessee was able to set up for a field goal there. But Bullock misses it, and the Brian Dable error starts off 1-0 in New York. I thought the Giants showed a lot of heart in this game coming back. I believe they were down 13-0 at the half, so really good good for them. And their defense um, really kept them in that game. I mean, it was an ugly first drive for them when Hilliard went down the field and like uh, scored a touchdown. He had two receiving touchdowns in this game, Dontrell Hilliard. That's a story for a different day. The Giants linebackers now they have to figure out how to guard running backs. But overall, I thought they were, like it just felt different. For the Giants, felt like they had a, a lot more fight in them. This, like, that would have been a game that they go down 13 nothing at half last year. they probably roll over and die. And so, good for the Brian Dable era to start 1-0. Let's see if they can keep it going into week two this week at home against the Carolina Panthers. But, I mean, Core, as an outsider, I mean, watching Saquon Barkley, some of the highlights, man, it's still feel, it's just good for the game of football to see a stud like Saquon finally back up and running, kind of like his 2018 self, 2019 self even. Mm-hmm, for sure, I think. This is Saqu- yeah, Saquon's fifth year in the league. I mean, his rookie year, he was an absolute monster. And his second year, he was still still pretty good. But, like, ever since then, like, injuries have really killed him. So, I mean, in his first game back, he looked pretty healthy to me. So, obviously, Saquon coming out of Penn State was supposed to be, like, some, like a really big stud running back. Like, obviously, the talent, the strength, the speed, just, like, everything is there. So, I agree. I think the game is definitely better 
when when you got a stud running back like Saquon Barkley able to put up 194 yards from scrimmage, get in two-point conversions like that where Daniel Jones gives him the little Patrick Mahomes pitch and he fights off defenders and falls into the end zone. I also loved – it was clear that Saquon, this game, like, meant a lot. Like, mm-hmm. I think, obviously, he, he played really well. Obviously, he had 194 total yards, but you saw, like, after they won – showed a lot of emotion after his two-point conversion, showing a lot of emotion. Like, as a fan, as a as a player, and, like, I mean, players of that team, like, you, I'd say Saquon probably, I mean, when he's healthy, I mean, it's hard to rank players, but I'd say he's, like, the best overall, like, player on the Giants. So, like, see, like, your best player um, get hyped like that, I think, has got to fire up the rest of your team, and especially going in into Tennessee, a good team. And um, getting that first win to go one and zero is definitely, definitely pretty big. As the Giants now schedule for the next few weeks is is a little is a little uh lighter, and maybe if they if they put things together, they can get off to a really good start. Yeah, listen, I was trying to tell people that the Giants play like a good football team this year that they could definitely win eight nine games the way their schedule just kicks out. Not like again, maybe there's some bias there, but. At home against Carolina, at home Monday night against Dallas with no Dak Prescott, and at home against the Chicago Bears the next three weeks. You want to be a good football team, you got to win those games. And the Giants, they control their own destiny in that sense. Core, let's go to the last of the kicking fiascos in this game. Brandon McManus lined up for a 64-yard field goal to everybody's surprise. Peyton Manning called timeout 62 times on the Manning cast. I don't know if you saw that clip on social media. Hilarious because I, I just don't know what Nathaniel Hackett and the rest of the Broncos coaching staff was doing. I just, I think that was one of the most poorly executed end of game drives I've ever seen fourth and five. And you're going to line up to kick a 64 yard field goal instead of giving the ball to your $240 million quarterback. They just traded two first round draft picks for two second round draft picks for Noah Fent and Shelby Harris. I think it was moronic that Nathaniel Hackett went for that there. And, and I mean, listen, he knows his kicker better than anybody else, but we're not talking about like, even if he lined up there for like a 58 yarder, I would say, I would be like, all right. Like, like, you know what? Like that one, maybe I could 64 is a little absurd. And like I said, he sees he saw McManus all through training camp, but I don't know. Like if I was a Denver Broncos fan, I would be livid that we just traded all of this for Russell Wilson. And when the game was on the line, we sent out McManus from 64. I don't I don't know about that. See, the thing is, I know Russell Wilson was like, he was he said like he was like asked McManus, he's like, where do you want the ball? And he was like, Yeah, give me, give me to the 46 left hash, and they got him there. And obviously he didn't deliver. But like that, that's just a really tough kick. I saw McManus like tweeted, he was like, uh, I told him like, get me there. I just gotta make the kick. Like, hey. As a kicker myself, it's good to have confidence like that. But at the end of the day, like Russell Wilson, he'll he'll probably be in Canton, Ohio one day. He's probably a Hall of Fame quarterback, I think. So you're getting all this money. We're not even – there was 50 seconds left when that fourth and five, like, play ended. So you had 50 seconds. They literally had the clock run all the way down. Like, you got to try to attempt another play. 64 yards is just so deep. Like. Have confidence in Russell Wilson, in your receivers, in your tight ends, in your running backs, your O-line, just the whole offense to be able to complete a pass for over five yards and then get the first down and take it from there. Like, if I'm Nathaniel Hackett, I'm literally running a play or calling a timeout. Like, 
just run a play with like 45 to 50 seconds. If you, if you don't get the first down, like I don't think anyone's going to be like, ah, you should have kicked the field goal. Like you're 64 yards away. So I don't, I think Russell Wilson, uh, I didn't like his mentality personally after the game. I think, I mean, I don't, I don't think he wanted to like disrespect the kicker and be like, screw the kicker. Like we should have went for it. I think he was being kind of polite, but like at the end of the day, like you're getting this much money. You got to be that guy. We're not even asking you to get a touchdown. Just like there was 50 seconds left. Just complete a fourth down conversion. Obviously easier said than done. But you get that fourth down, you take it from there. It makes it a way, way more manageable manageable field goal. I mean, all night the team was in the red zone moving the ball down the field. So, like, moving the ball wasn't the problem. It was putting the ball in the end zone while in the red zone. So, I really don't like the call from Nathaniel Hackett. I think you definitely got to go for it on fourth down. And if take it from there. Yeah, I mean, the Broncos, they were extremely sloppy in every aspect of the game, if you want to say that, coaching-wise and just on the field-wise. I had over, like, 100 yards in penalties. I think at least 15 penalties I think they were up to at some point late in that game. You mentioned they fumbled twice on the goal line going in. Both running backs, Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams, each cleft it up once. I mean, it's no secret they're a better football team than the Seattle Seahawks. I think we could sit here and say that, but they didn't. They, they played worse. They played a lot sloppy in Seattle. Got out to a good start in the first half and really kind of, I don't want to say like putting on cruise control and stuff like that, but like, I don't want to say they got lucky either, but like Denver never capitalized and hats off to Geno Smith winning his first home, like his first, he started, what was it, week one for the first time since like 2014. So good for him to finally win there. What what was he saying, Corey? It was like, uh, he said they wrote me off, but I didn't write back. No, Geno Smith ain't writing back. I mean, hey, listen, he got off to an awesome start in that game. I think it's interesting to see where the season takes. Geno Smith, I don't think Seattle went into the year and was like, Geno Smith is our franchise quarterback for the next five years. But, um, yeah, let's see where Geno can take them. I, who knows? I mean, Seattle, they, their offensive line looked a little bit improved. Jamal Adams looks like he's going to be out for quite some time. He left the game with an injury. They got a lot of young pieces there, but – I don't know. Maybe Seattle can be an interesting team. Maybe they could play a little bit of spoiler. I don't think necessarily they're a playoff roster, but um, yeah, who knows? They can maybe be competitive down the stretch. And then one last thing, Core, I mentioned some other comebacks in Saquon and Michael Thomas. If I didn't mention Khalil Mack in his three-sack day against his former employer, the Las Vegas Raiders, I'd be a little bit upset with myself, including a sack on the Raiders' final offensive play of the game, which ended up being a strip sack. Um. Yeah, I mean, for Khalil Mack, kind of gets lost in the weeds a little bit that he went to the Chargers with how crazy the offseason was. But, I mean, if they could get back prime Mack, man, I mean, talk about um, talk about who they could potentially be walking into the San Diego, the Los Angeles Chargers there. Excuse me. I'm going way back then. But, um, yeah, moving on quarter for more of the dominant performances of week one. Obviously, I just mentioned one with Khalil Mack. The Kansas City Chiefs, definitely an eye-opening one, 44-21 over – the Arizona Cardinals, I think it was like 37 to 7 after the first three quarters. Patrick Mahomes continues to prove that he's the best week one quarterback of all time. 360 yards in the air, five touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, Tyreek Who, he'll have a nice game for his own right against the New England Patriots. But um Kansas City's just a well-oiled machine. And again, Mahomes in the first week, and even in September, I mean, just continues to prove why he's arguably the best quarterback in the league. Hey, you did call that Mahomes over two and a half touchdowns at cash with ease. And, hey, I was pretty wrong. I said that, hey, I'm not taking anything away from Patrick Mahomes. I just thought, like, a lot of Patrick Mahomes' success 
did come from Tyreek Hill, just how explosive he is. And Patrick Mahomes is like, okay, let me let me go drop five touchdowns on 360 passing yards. Like it was just so it's just so effortless for him. I mean, have some um weapons. Travis Kelsey um was back. Had had a nice day at the office. Clyde Edwards Hilaire with two touchdowns. And yeah, I mean, the Chiefs, I think this is definitely a scary sight for the league. I think we were all curious to see how the Chiefs would be. Like, I don't think anyone was like, the Chiefs are not a playoff team. Because I think when you have Patrick Mahomes at quarterback and you still got a lot of weapons on the outside, even without Tyreek Hill, like, that's a playoff team. But I think for them to come out and make a statement, I'm not saying the Cardinals defense is good because it's really not that good. But, hey, I mean, the offense was moving the ball pretty easily. And, yeah, I think Mahomes – I don't know. I think – We'll t- we'll get into it a little bit, but him versus Josh Allen, I think, are the top two quarterbacks, and I think that's a really good debate because both these guys, if we can get a few more AFC championship games between these two guys, like we're sh- we're we're in for uh for some great matchups. Yeah, I mean, you saw how I mean that's an all time game last year, their game in the divisional round, but kind of foreshadowed a little bit there, core. The Chiefs were dominant in Week One, but you could argue that the Bills had the most dominant performance on opening night. On that Thursday night football game, I kind of alluded to it early in the episode. I said outstanding just because I couldn't really fathom how dominant the Chiefs, uh, the how dominant the Bills look, like both with Josh Allen and their defensive line absolutely wrecked any game plan that the Rams had on offense. The Rams never really got into a rhythm offensively all game, and Josh Allen, all he was was in rhythm. He had two interceptions in this game. I know one of them for sure hit off of, like right off of Isaiah McKenzie's chest. I can't think of the other one. In, in the off the top of my head, so, but something inside of me is telling me that like it also really wasn't on him, but I could be completely wrong about that. He ended up finishing with just under 300 yards, three touchdowns there, one of them to Stefan Diggs, another one to Gabriel Davis. I mean, you kind of again mentioned this core. You're building a franchise tomorrow, Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. Which one are you taking? Hey, I mean, you really can't go wrong. No, you can't. But honestly, I'm I'm gonna go Josh Allen. Like I want to give my respect to Patrick Mahomes because, like, he is a former MVP. He's a Super Bowl MVP. And I think Josh Allen will get there. I think Josh Allen's going to win the MVP this year. And, I mean, he, he just keeps, like, getting better. I think, like, coming out of Wyoming, he's a little bit raw. Like, obviously, he had an absolute cannon for an arm. And, obviously, like, his first season, he kind of struggled a little bit. Second season, all right. And then, like, his third season, fourth season, and – I think this season, like, he is just taking a major leap. Like, the development and improvement from him is just insane. I think, like, yeah, he's really – like, he's putting together all the pieces, and it's showing why, like, Josh Allen was just, like, such a freak athlete, just, like, a stud – like, just a stud. Like, if someone could, like, develop him, he he could be, like, an amazing quarterback in this league, and it's clear that's what's happening. I mean, I just give him the edge – they both have absolute cannons, but, like, I don't think anyone has a stronger arm than Josh Allen. And when it comes to running, Mahomes could run. But, like, Josh Allen is just out here not afraid to take any hits from anybody, running over guys. The guy's out here getting stopped, like, at the one-and-a-half-yard line. He just reaches over with, like, his arm and his hand and just, like, puts it, like, over the goal line. Like, I just think Josh Allen's just, like, a different breed compared to um these other quarterbacks. So... Yeah, I would take Josh Allen personally. 
yeah, I mean, I'm kind of torn. I think if you ask me, like, who the better – like, that's crazy. Like, if you ask me who the better quarterback is, I'd I, I, I probably slightly patching Mahomes and stuff like that. But, like, I just think you could do more with Josh Allen. So, like, the – like, I don't know. I'm just, like, the coach in me almost, in a sense, wants me to take Josh Allen there because he's a part of your run game, Josh Allen, at 6'5", then however heavy he is. But it's like, Mahomes really, like, you know, you know what I mean? You're not designing runs for him. But obviously, patching Mahomes, you could, like it, – it, it's – unreal what this guy has done really since he stepped on a football field as a full-time starter and stuff we mentioned that josh allen he kind of took him like until year three to really make that leap patrick Mahomes sat out year one year two um hit the ground running and won an mvp so you can't go wrong i guess i'm gonna make a cop-out answer with that core i'll be the real boring one i think that maybe justin herbert is ascending himself in to that category potentially but don't get he's not there yet obviously um, he did make an incredible throw. I can't remember exactly who it was to, but it was it was it was unreal how he was able to drop it over the Raiders defender there in that game as well. I forgot exactly the final of that game. What I do know about that game though is that the Chargers won and they spoiled Devontae Adams' big day for ten catches, 141 yards, and a touchdown as the Fresno State boys reunited Derek Carr through three interceptions in that one. I know I'm kind of straying away from it there, but um I mean, again, talking about the AFC West and stuff like that, we said the Bills and the Chiefs possibly being like the top two in the AFC, obviously, with Mahomes and Allen. Justin Herbert and the Chargers definitely want some say, and they're going to get a chance this week as the Chargers travel to Kansas City to play the Chiefs tonight on Thursday night. So that's definitely going to be an awesome game that you should definitely want to tune in for. Core, we'll talk about some other dominating performances of week one. How about the Minnesota Vikings and their win against the Green Bay Packers. I think we both had the Vikings in this game. I, I know you you had the Vikings here too, right? Yeah, because yeah, you picked I, them to win the division. I didn't pick them to win the division, but I did have them winning this game. And, I mean, they went up early and kind of coasted after that. I mean, the Packers, again, back-to-back years in week one, don't really look good at all. 23-7 was the final on that one, thanks in large part to Justin Jefferson. Nine catches, 184 yards, and two touchdowns. Core, I just asked you who the best quarterback in the league is. Is Jay Jeff the best receiver in the league? No doubt. See, I think Justin Jefferson, I want to say he is the best, but like I'm still going to say I'll still put Devontae Adams at number one just because Devontae Adams has been doing it for a long time. And to be fair, like Justin Jefferson is absolutely a superstar in this league, but it's not like Devontae Adams' production has really like fell off where I could say, yeah, I'll put Justin Jefferson over him. Like, I think just like how good, like we can't even forget about Cooper cup. I think those are the three best by far right now, but um, Justin Jefferson, like how good he is like Devontae Adams still, like we see this, this, I know the, the Packers on week one are pretty bad, but like we saw this Packers offense on Sunday without Devontae Adams. And he had more yards than, like the other receivers on the Packers combined, I think they had like 120 and he had like 141. So, I mean, Devontae Adams is still special. Like he's an absolute playmaker. So just to give my respect, I will put Devontae one, Justin Jefferson two, Cooper Cup at three, but they're all just so good. Like any other, like could be flipped. Like you can make an argument for all three of them, but yeah, I still would put Devontae at number one, but if Justin Jefferson does this every game, like I'll have no choice. I'll have to put him at number one. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I think Justin Jefferson definitely deserves to be mentioned alongside the top receivers in this league. I think Devontae Adams still definitely does have a slight leg up on him. And I think a lot of the other guys comes down to like like certain scheme-wise and stuff. Like if, like Cooper Cup on the Rams and the Rams usage of him and stuff. Like obviously like his numbers are going to be towards the top of the league, maybe better than like I might rate Cooper Cup and stuff like that. I'm not saying I think Cooper Cup is absurd. Again, I think he's a top three receiver in the NFL. I think there's a lot of other guys too who deserve to be possibly mentioned in this debate. Jamar Chase being one of them, Stephon Diggs, and Tyree Kill for sure. I think maybe out of those three, I'd probably slot Hill above Jefferson. But I don't know, man. The gap's getting really, really close, really, really fast for Justin Jefferson. Kevin O'Connell, the new Vikings head coach there coming over from the Rams, definitely did a good job of using him. Played him a majority on the outside, too, in this game. But the Vikings sat in uh, – the Packers sat in a lot of zone coverage this game, which is kind of strange. I know – Justin Jefferson said that, too. He was surprised. And Jair Alexander was even like, I kind of wanted to shadow him, which, I mean, Jair Alexander, he, he was a little banged up last year. But, I mean, this guy is like one of your top top man-to-man corners in the league. I was definitely a little, little, like I said, surprised not to see him following Jefferson. But I guess that's what happens when your defensive game plan is to sit back in zone, let Jefferson get you for 9, 184, and two tutters. But I won't anoint him as the top receiver in the NFL yet, Corey, but he is definitely closing the gap really fast. Another guy who... I could. I don't think he's again a top receiver in the league, but if he keeps doing performances like he did this past week, AJ Brown in his Philadelphia Eagle debut went for what was it, ten catches and over a buck thirty. So Jalen Hurts, I mean, finally found his true number one target. I know Devonta Smith. I mean, he might have been held off the scoreboard in this game, Devonta Smith. So which is kind of a little upsetting to see. Yeah, he was on four targets, but AJ Brown steps into that wide receiver one role. And, Core, I know you kind of wanted to talk about these two guys, two teams really in the NFC, if you want to say, kind of like we're both kind of surprising. I guess dominant, I won't say the Eagles' victory over the Lions because the Lions hung around, but like the Eagles' offense and the Vikings. I mean, Core, these are two teams who maybe before the season, they were maybe on a lower tier in the NFC. And now, I mean, you see maybe the Packers here. Maybe they won't be as good this year as evident in week one. You see the Cowboys will get to definitely losing a couple pieces, a couple really big ones. Like I said, we'll mention that. I mean, maybe one of these teams goes on, has a real good season, catches momentum, and who knows, lights it up in the playoffs. So I'm curious, between the Vikings and the Eagles, which of these two teams do you think could be could continue their week one performance and like be sustainable throughout this season? And the playoffs. Like, if you had to back one of these two teams, who would you do? Who would it be? See, like, yeah, I was just gonna say, like, I think the NFC is wide open. I'd say right now the best team is the Buccaneers, but after that, very wide open. And if I had to back one of these teams, I'm backing the Minnesota Vikings. I think with a new head coach, Kevin O'Connell. I mean, Justin Jefferson. Um, I mean, you saw what Cooper Cup did last year with the Rams. Um, with with Kevin O'Connell at offense quarter. Now him. At head coach, he's going to make sure to get the ball to Justin Jefferson a lot. Yeah, I mean, they still have a lot of weapons outside of that. Like, you look at the run game. I mean, yeah, the Eagles do have Jalen Hurts, a running quarterback, but Dalvin Cook's still a top running back in the league. Adam Thielen, a wide receiver, too. And then, yeah, I mean, this defense, off the top of my head, um, a little bit of a casual, I guess. Like, I can't really name that many guys, but obviously they held, um, they held Aaron Rodgers seven points. And, I mean, even last year, like, they played a lot of one-score games. They're, if they could just flip the script a little bit and be on the winning side of those, like, they're a really good team. So, I think both these teams are going to make the playoffs. I think they both win their divisions. 
But yeah, I'm going to give the edge to, to the Minnesota Vikings and they're going to square off on Monday Night Football. So that should be a really good game. But yeah, I'm going to side with the Vikings. Yeah, part of the reason why we kind of brought that debate in, we'll talk about our game pick and who we have in that one there. But I'm going to disagree with you, Corn. I'll keep this brief because I absolutely hate praising the Philadelphia Eagles. But like I've mentioned for a while, their roster I think is just deeper overall. They have arguably one of the best offensive lines in football and one of the best defensive lines in football. James Bradbury had a pick six, the new acquisition on the defensive side of the football to go along with guys like Jordan Davis, Nicobe Dean, who are only just going to get better as the season progresses. Darius Slate, too, on the other side of James Bradbury, makes that corner duo real special. So, yeah, like I said, I'm not going to talk too much about it. I, I, I think the Eagles have a clearer path to winning their division, especially because of the Cowboys' injury and how just how bad the Cowboys looked on Sunday Night Football, which we'll get into next year, Core Three points with Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott late in that game hurts his hand. He gets surgery. He's out. I saw a conflicting comment as early as four weeks, but possibly six to eight, which could get real ugly for Dallas because, like I said, I think the Bucs are very good, and their defense was just absolutely dominant. But I, I, I almost had to take a step back. I was, I was like, is the Bucs defense really that good, or is, is Dallas's offense like bad? I think it was a little bit of both, but – now, the thing about this Dallas offense, like last year they were very explosive, but you lose Amari Cooper, a guy who's been here a few years, uh, a main target, a main like favorite target of Dak Prescott, and Michael Gallup not there right now. Like right now on the outside, you even lose Cedric Wilson, like they're kind of like shallow on the outside with weapons. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott, he certainly has seen better days. I mean, Tyrone Smith, offensive um yeah tackle he's he's out so this offense certainly not what they were last year I'll still give credit to the uh to the Buccaneers I mean Devin White absolute stud and yeah I, this Dallas offense I think even with Dak Prescott is unfortunately I think at best like mediocre offense I think their defense might honestly be I think their defense right now is the strong suit of that team I mean they just like Lost a lot of weapons on the offensive side of the ball. And I know Dak like, was dealing with like somewhat of an ankle injury going to this. Now he's got um, a hand-slash-finger injury. But, yeah, I mean, outside of C.D. Lamb, and I, I'll give my credit to Dalton Schultz. I think he's an underrated tight end, too. Outside For of sure. those two guys on the outside, like, you really don't got a lot of weapons. I mean, Zeke, I said, seen better days. Tony Pollard's a nice little, like, gadget. Like, I wouldn't say gadget, just, like, Pretty versatile offensive player, but yeah, I would say like we know what the Bucks defense is, so I'd say more of this did go to the uh, to to the Cowboys like poor offense. Yeah, I think the biggest part about it too was just like they lost Leo Collins and Connor Williams in the offseason too. They're starting offensive line, and then unfortunately, right before the season starts, you lose Tyron Smith. So you had they had to bump their first round draft pick Tyler Smith, I believe is his name. A rookie offensive tackle out of Tulsa from right tackle to left tackle, as Rex Ryan was even saying. I mean, you draft an offensive lineman in the first round out of Tulsa. Like, Tulsa, don't get me wrong. I think they're in the American Conference and stuff. That's not your premier program. Like, Evan Neal was playing right tackle for the Giants, and he was a three-year starter at Alabama in the SEC. Like, it's a pretty big jump to then go to protect Dak Prescott's blind side going against guys like Shaq Barrett on the Buccaneers defense and stuff like that. So, listen, I, I think injury is definitely playing a big part in Dallas this season going into week one and their performance in week one. And unfortunately, they're going to get played by it with Dak out now. Gallup might be coming back pretty soon, which will definitely help. But 
Cooper Rush throwing them the football, I I don't feel great. I think that Dallas is a clear, like, call, like even with as good as the defense as they have, I think they're the clear worst team in the NFC East with Dak Prescott, not at quarterback, and Cooper Rush there. Now, who knows? They said that they might not make a move for a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that connecting the dots makes so much sense, but maybe San Francisco doesn't want to deal him for anything less than a second-round pick, and Dallas is like, why would we give up a second-round pick for a four-week rental, potentially? So, it remains to be seen what's going to happen at the quarterback position there. But if I'm Dallas, I'm definitely maybe hitting a little bit of a panic button because, one, I looked bad in week one. And then, two, obviously, we're without our starting quarterback there. So you kind of almost have to tread water here and um, definitely figure something out. Ezekiel Elliott is going to kind of have to try to carry this offense, which with an offensive line that did not perform well. And like I said, we know that the Bucks. I mean – they, they've been dominant these past couple of years. And Todd Bowles in his first game as the Buccaneers head coach definitely had his defense humming all night. Core, we're kind of – I kind of mentioned now I'm just worried about the Dallas Cowboys after week one. What's another team that you kind of – um you know what I mean? We're not, we're not slamming the panic button yet because week one obviously is the week that everybody overreacts and stuff like that. They're like, who are you a little bit worried about after week one? Yeah, I mean, I expect them to fully bounce back in week two. Honestly, like I'm a little, I'm concerned about the Green Bay Packers. I'd say, just, I don't know. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, I think, still is like obviously an elite, elite player. But I don't know, like, who does he ha- like? Who is a reliable target? Like, he can even throw the ball to right now. Like, I mean, does have Randall Cobb, but this isn't, this isn't twenty like fourteen, where Randall Cobb is is just is like kicking into gear. Like, he's a little old. Like. If he's gonna be your number one, I'm gonna say he's number, your number one option, but I don't know. I just think it's gonna to be tough. Like they're gonna really have to rely on that two-headed running back committee, not only running wise, but to catch passes out of the backfield. Because I mean, I expect Christian Watson to be better. He, he dropped a really bad pass. Like he was in stride. Rogers put it right on him and just went right through his hands. I mean, he's a rookie. I'll give him a pass for that. But I don't know. Like you really look on the outside. And I don't know, like, like, I don't even know who, I don't even know, Romeo Dobes, like, I know, I think he's a rookie out of Nevada, but like, I don't really Mm -hmm. know him much. I don't know. I just think they're going to, I don't think this offense is going to be how it was. Um, Definitely not. I mean, you lost Devontae Adams, but they had games last year where like Devontae didn't play, but see, that was different because it's not like one game, like you're going a game at a time. Like he wasn't out like that long. Like you. Like, one game, yeah, you could tread water. Like, I know they beat um, the Cardinals on, like, a mm-hmm. Thursday night football game without Devontae. But, yeah, I would say I'm a little bit concerned of the Green Bay Packers. Like, I'm not worried this week. Like, I think they'll take care of the Chicago Bears. But I think even the Packers without Devontae Adams, like, the expectation still, you ask them what's their expectation, I think it still is to win the NFC and win the Super Bowl. And I think without Devontae Adams, like, I don't know if I could see them being able to compete with top teams. Like you're telling me if green Bay goes up against the bills, like they're not getting smoked right now. Like, I just think I'm a little bit worried about the, uh, the green Bay Packers. Yeah, definitely fair. Especially because there was a gaping hole at wide receiver one. They didn't address it. So then when it's kind of like when those concerns are then validated in week one, people love to jump on that stuff. Now they played this game without Alan Lazard. Alan Lazard will be back. He has to have a big season for sure. He has to kind of, offset some of the loss of Devontae Adams. But everybody who watches the Green Bay Packers the past couple of years can tell you Alan Lazard is not Devontae Adams. So 
Hopefully the Packers, it's a situation where it was like last year. I mean, they started off in like Jacksonville last year playing the Saints and that crazy opener and stuff, like with relocation and stuff. And they got absolutely smoked. And then they went on to have a 13-win season. So for the Packers, again, hopefully they just bounce back and just one of those things in week one that they can't seem to uh can't seem to shake. Uh the Packers had a tough week. They play the Bears this week. Like you said, I think they right ship. Two other teams that I think had tough weeks that I'm not panicking on yet. The San Francisco 49ers been absolute monsoon in Chicago. Uh, it was raining all day, wet conditions. I know Eliza Mitchell's going to be out. They're going to be fine. Uh, it just sucked that they went down, and then it absolutely started torrential downpouring so bad. Trey Lance going to catch the snap. Like it, it, it was tough. I'll give them a pass as well. And the same, and the Los Angeles Rams as well. I, I think that the Rams. I mean, they play Atlanta. The 49ers play Seattle, and the Packers play the Bears. Those are three inferior opponents to the teams that I just mentioned. Like. It's a nice week to kind of get back on your horse right now and let's let's get back to our deep playoff run aspirations here. Core, there's one team that lost in week one in a disgusting fashion, as I've already mentioned, that um I'm not I'm 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 starting to worry about it a little bit. And that's the Arizona Cardinals core. I mean, you pay all this money to Kyler Murray, and I know that they played the Kansas City Chiefs, but the Kansas City Chiefs defense core gives up seven points in three quarters against the Arizona Cardinals offense that you just paid all this money to Kyler Murray. You're sticking with Cliff Kingsbury and defending him. Uh, results have got to start to show. Normally, this is a team that starts early. And I know I'm not. Ex- I wasn't expecting them to go win this game in Kansas against Kansas City, or even go put up 40 points in this game against Kansas City. But seven points through the first three quarters. I know Rondell Moore was hurt in this game, which definitely hindered their offense. Obviously, the first game without Christian Kirk too. DeAndre Hopkins is suspended, so that doesn't help and stuff like that. But I'm not, like I said, I'm not slamming a panic button yet, but I'm definitely worrying about the Cardinals a lot more than I'm worrying about the 49ers, the Rams, and even the Packers to a sense, and especially because they're in such a tough division where the margin for error is very low. I mean, the Packers, they're playing with the Bears, the Lions, and the Vikings. Aside from the Vikings, you're not really seeing the Lions and the Bears as true playoff contenders. But the 49ers and the Rams lost this week, and you had a good chance to get a one-up on those two teams, the Arizona Cardinals, maybe sneaking a nice upset win, and you took two steps backwards instead of taking a potential step forward. They're going to head to Las Vegas this week to play the Raiders. The Raiders, again, looking to bounce back off just an ugly performance. Bear Carr turned the ball over a bunch. It's not. It's Josh McDaniels' home debut. I'm sure the Vegas crowd is going to be pumped up that game. It's going to be a tough place for the Cardinals to play. I'd love to see what they're made of in this one and kind of see if Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury can bounce back. Or, I mean, they, they dropped to 0-2 again. It's almost like we got to get off this skid here. we got to start winning football games. With that being said, Core, we're going to bring it to our game picks now. we got three or four that we're going to discuss here. depends on how the time cooperates with us. We'll start first with, I mean, again, an awesome Thursday night football game. Back-to-back weeks, we have great games on Thursdays. The Los Angeles Chargers travel to Kansas City to play the Chiefs. The Chiefs are four-point favorites in this one. Core, I'll start it to you first. Keenan Allen is not going to go in this one. I know, obviously, on the Chiefs side, Harrison Bucker, we've mentioned, is not going to go. J.C. Jackson, though, did practice today. It would be interesting to see if he goes on Thursday. I mean, it's not that the Chiefs, again, without Tyreek Hill, they don't have this stud number one wide receiver that J.C. Jackson would necessarily go shadow. I'm sure he would probably take Juju if Juju's on the outside. And if not, maybe like a Miko Hardman and stuff. So it's like maybe he's not like – I think in previous years, obviously J.C. Jackson wasn't with the Chargers, but if the Chiefs still had Hill, like you'd really want Jackson to be out there. That way he could take out Hill. I don't think it's as big of a loss, although still a big loss. I mean, again, you just paid him $82 million to come there. But with that being said, Core. I'll leave the floor to you. Who's your pick in this one? 
I think I think the Kansas City Chiefs get this win, but I think the spread is yeah four or four and a half. I think it's yeah plus four. I'm gonna take the Chargers to cover plus four. I think they're just too talented of a team, even without Keenan Allen potentially J.C. Jackson. They just have still have a lot of really talented players. I mean Herbert, Eckler, Mike Williams. Still have Khalil Mack. You have um, Joey Bosa. You got Derwin James. Like still a star-studded team. So I think this is still gonna be a really good game, a good AFC West battle. But I'm gonna take the Chiefs in their home opener. But I think this game is set. This game is determined by a field goal or like that's the margin of victory the Chiefs are gonna win by. So yeah, I'll take the Chargers with the points. Yeah, listen, I got this being a close game, too, Corey. I definitely think it's within one score. But I think the Chiefs, I think that one score is going to be a six or seven point game by the Kansas City Chiefs ultimately winning south side with the Chiefs to win and at the number. I think last week, obviously, the Chargers, defensively, they were very good. And, like, they won a lot of different ways offensively. Like, Austin actually didn't have a crazy amount of volume. Obviously, Keenan Allen goes down. Or if Keenan Allen goes down, Mike Williams didn't really step up big. I mean, their touchdowns were like Gerald Everett. Uh, DeAndre Carter, your boy, core long sleeves and everything. He scored a touchdown in his Chargers debut. So I, I think that kind of worries me a little bit in the sense because in a game like this and stuff like that, you kind of need your best to step up. So like a guy like Mike Williams, I'm circling in this matchup, and he's got to kind of fill some of the void that is left with Keenan Allen. I think losing Keenan Allen will definitely hurt big time. Last year, the Chargers did win in Kansas City. And then we mentioned that Thursday night game last year that them two played against each other was – ridiculous i think both i think it was like a, com- a combined five times these teams had the ball like inside the 10 yard line and like didn't have any points to show for it and stuff like that because of how much they how aggressive they got and stuff with that being said i'm gonna go with the chiefs minus four and i think that for now they still reign supreme in the afc west moving on to the next game the buccaneers are three point favorites traveling to new orleans to play the saints the big narrative around this one will be that the saints are 4-0 against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the regular season since Tom Brady came over there. Dennis Allen has seemed to figure him out. Without Chris Godwin, too, core, I'm going to continue that streak, and I'm going to go with the Saints here, plus three, and ultimately to win the game. I know it's crazy to go against Tom Brady here. Julio Jones did step up nice for the Buccaneers as well, but the Saints really found an offensive rhythm in the second half. I know it was against the Atlanta Falcons. Hopefully they could hit the ground running. I think my biggest thing is, like, the Buccaneers, like, I know this, uh Dallas's defense is good, but the Buccaneers were kind of in like just like cruise control on that. I know like they didn't really have to be because their defense was playing so good, but I think without Godwin, who got hurt actually in the Saints game last year, it's just going to be too much to overcome here. And again, I, he just has his number, Dennis. Allen. It's kind of like like a Tua has Bill Belichick's number. Tua has not lost to Bill Belichick, and he continued that streak. Dennis Allen just has Tom Brady's number, and I'm I'm going to ride with the reason this year. So I think the Saints plus three and ultimately to win the game. Yeah, I'm I'm in agreement with you, Pay. I mean, I don't know how how good that is, but yeah, I mean, the Buccaneers. I know, like you said, like they weren't in cruise cruise control, but I wouldn't say that offense looked looked great. I mean, it was only week one; they still won the game handedly, but I don't know. I mean, the Saints. Yeah, like Dennis Allen, like they just have Tom Brady's number, unless this game is in in the playoffs, like it was like two years ago where you can't really bet against Tom Brady, even if he does lose, like, can't bet against him, really, because he's just so good at winning. But in the regular season, week two, I'm going to ride with the Saints plus three and to win the game. I just think that defense stifles Tom Brady for some reason. I think this offense 
pretty well improved. We didn't really talk about it, but obviously Michael Thomas is back, but Jarvis Landry in week one had over 100 yards um, receiving. So, yeah, I'm going to take the Saints to, to win this game. All right, moving on to an AFC matchup. The Miami Dolphins, we didn't really touch on them too much, but they had a really nice win in Mike McDaniel's open opener as a head coach there, beat the New England Patriots. They're plus three and a half this week on the road in Baltimore playing the Ravens who beat the New York Jets this past week. I'm kind of on the fence here. I love the Dolphins' new energy around them. McDaniel went for it on like fourth and seven, and Jalen Waddle turned that into a long touchdown. So I'm liking the confidence around this team. Now, obviously, I think the Patriots roster is a little weak. Baltimore is definitely a step up from that. I, I don't know how I feel here. I think the Ravens are definitely a more physical team, and they're going to show that. But with the questions at running backs, I'm I'm going to side with the Dolphins at plus three and a half, but I'm ultimately going to take the Ravens to win this game, and I'll side with the better quarterback in Lamar Jackson and the proven head coach in John Harbaugh. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw what happened last year in, in Miami when the Dolphins actually completely stifled Lamar in the, in the, in the Ravens' offense. Mm. So – I know Brian Flores obviously not there. Like this isn't as defensive minded as of a team, but they did they did play really well in Week One against the Patriots. Obviously, the Ravens are a better offense. I think it's gonna be a really good game. I think I think the Ravens get this win. Honestly, yeah, I think it's gonna be pretty close, but I don't know. I think I think the Ravens win this game by about a touchdown. So I'll take the Ravens minus three and a half, but I expect a good game. Between these two teams, I think the Dolphins are a good team. So I think this is a, their first true test early in this 2022 campaign. But, yeah, I'll take Lamar Jackson in the Ravens to uh, to cover three and a half in this one. Yeah, that's like an underrated game if you ask me on the slate on Sunday. Now, the second game on Monday, because weird this year, we have our Monday night doubleheaders in week two. The Minnesota Vikings travel to Philadelphia to play the Eagles. This is a rematch of like that 2018 um, NFC Championship when Nick Foles went crazy on the Minnesota Vikings, but that's completely irrelevant. These two teams play each other enough. Core Eagles are two point favorites here. We mentioned you were siding with the Vikings for a long term. I was siding with the Eagles. I'm curious, did, does that change your pick here? Or are you going with the Vikings as an underdog here to come into Philadelphia to beat them on Monday night? <clears throat> hey, I think this is a tone setting game. I said I think the Vikings. Uh... Can we make a deeper run? I think they prove it here. Hey, I mean, we'll see how it comes. Like, I just say, I think they prove here that they're a better team than the Eagles. I think the Eagles are really deep. But I don't know. I think the Vikings, um, I, it feels a little bit different this year. I know the the Packers are not a good week one team, but the Vikings to get a big win like that in week one, even with, with like a different Packers team, I think could say a lot about this season, so. I'm going to take the Vikings as underdogs in this one on the road and, and get the win. I think Justin Jefferson has another good game, even though I think the secondary is good for the Eagles. But I still think Justin Jefferson has a really good game and the Vikings get the win. Yeah, I mean, kind of similar to you here, though, Core. How, like, can I choose, like, my team and then go against them when they're playing each other this week? So I'm going to side with the Eagles as the favorites here. Look, last week they held 181 yards on the ground against the Detroit Lions. That can't happen. That has to stop. They have to keep Dalvin Cook in check, but they, they have 450 total yards of offense. I mean, Jalen Hurts was throwing the ball well. They were running the ball well, and I think that, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit of a letdown spot for the Vikings and everybody's patting them on the back and stuff after this week. Now they got to go travel. It's a little bit of a longer week. 
a night game. I don't know. I just kind of like the the Jalen Hurts environment. Kirk Cousins in prime time. Throw that even into the equation. I I just think that the Eagles are a good football team at the end of the day. And Hurts is was in groove last week. I think that the Minnesota Vikings secondary specifically is not good enough at all that they're going to give fits to guys like A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. Hopefully we'll get on the board this week and get his first catch of the 2022 season. So I think that it's just a good matchup for the Eagles in a sense as that like what they don't do well, Minnesota does not defend well and stuff like that. So I think that like Philadelphia will be able to keep it in rhythm enough on offense and their defense is going to be able to hold that Vikings offense in check. And I mean, I wonder if Darius Slay will follow um, Justin Jefferson this week. Darius Slay normally does follow a lot of receivers. So I would be very surprised if he doesn't. But with that core, that's going to do it for today's episode. As I mentioned, there's a lot of other good games in week two. Week two is also a good time to watch some of these games because you got to see if week one was a fluke and stuff like that. I know the Giants, for example, they play the Panthers. You put together a nice win. You're like, oh, 2-0, and oh, maybe the teams are for real. Like I said as well, you got the Packers, the Rams, and the 49ers playing inferior opponents this week as 10-point favorites. These three teams are supposed to be some of the top teams in the NFC. You want to see them bounce back in really get going against some of these teams. So it, it, week two is definitely more of an eye-opener as well, kind of really see how teams react to that week one loss, potentially, or their week one success, and um, kind of go from there. Of course, anything else you want to add? No, nah, I think you you hit everything. I think, yeah, week two, really, uh, really important. I mean, even after week two, like overreactions are still going to come in because, I mean – NFL season 17 games is not that long. This isn't the MLB or the NBA where like I mean yeah, you got you got to start kicking it kicking it like somewhat into gear by like week 3 or week 4 just like get some type of rhythm. It's not that long of a season, but yeah, I think definitely another week to um for teams to prove that like they're legit like the Eagles and the Vikings like one of them is going to prove like they could be a contender in the NFC and then yeah, teams like the uh the Packers, the Rams like they have, they have a chance to answer and um, shut the overreactors up. So, yeah, looking forward to another week and should be fun. Yeah, and it's going to get off to a great start, as I mentioned, with the AFC West battle between the Chargers and the Chiefs. But that's going to do it for today's episode. Take care, everybody. Have a good one.